the digital landscape that we're operating in is vicious at the moment. Threat actors, organized crime, nation state threat actors are also in the space. And we are going to do our best efforts with our teams. But you have to say that up front. As soon as you come in and like, I got this and yep, no problem. Everything will be fine. You'll be able to sleep at night, you know, CEO and the executive leadership. That's not necessarily true because you don't know who's plotting in the shadows to take you out. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and we are back with one of my all-time favorite guests, Dr. Adrian Mayers, VP and CISO at Primera Blue Cross. For those unfamiliar with Adrian's background, I urge you to check out his past two episodes. Today, we're covering his key tips for stress and career management as a CISO. Plus, he shares his expert approach to research, AI, and the changing threat landscape. As technology evolves, so does the role of the CISO. So how do you set the right expectations during a job interview? What is the definition of enough when determining your next career move? And why might CISOs need sports agents? Adrian, thank you so much for being back on the show. For the uninitiated, as I often say, uh, if you would, please introduce yourself again. Who are you? Well, who am I? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me back. Just ha had a great time last time. So I'm Adrian Mears. I'm the uh, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Primera Blue Cross. Thank you for that. We are doing an extension of our 100th episode. Uh, which was uh, fantastic. And it, it was going to have three guests and scheduling got the best of us. So we're doing this one-on-one -on -one with Adrian again. For those of you that don't know Adrian, what I'll tell you, and I, I really appreciate this, there's no video with this. You'll just, you'll hear his, his voice. But he is this, an intense listener that processes exactly what you're saying. And there's a wonderful attribute about people that do this but the best part of it is when, when the question is done, there is this spark, there is this light, that there's this, he's processing the question, he's being thoughtful about it, and then he lights up with this sort of excited response. And so I know it's a little strange to describe that. That's usually not something that I do, but it makes the experience of knowing Adrian as a, as a leader and as a friend that much more fun because when you're speaking with someone like this, you're like, I can't wait to see what they come up with as an answer. And, and with this enthusiasm that is just absolutely infectious. So I wanted to share that for those that don't know Adrian, uh, you'll get to hear him here for probably another 40 minutes or so, maybe more. We'll see. But I wanted to share that little bit of appreciation to start the show. That's one of the things I want to start doing more of. So sorry to put you on the spot. Adrian, but I think that's such an important attribute that probably often goes unnoticed. I have never heard anybody describe me that way. So, um, so I will definitely be hiring you as my PR person because I think, I think that's <laughs> awesome. Um, you, you know what it is? And I say this a lot, right? It's, a, it's about that connectivity. It's about being here now, the engagement, the, the, the thoughtfulness of your questions, you know, requires thoughtful responses and engaging responses. So I, I think that's what you're getting. There's a lot of energy and, you know, and I, I vocalize it and I think about it, but I think we're, we're kind of playing off of each other because there's a lot of respect there and we genuinely like each other. Right. So I think you can, you can feel that a little bit. There are people, I just had a conversation with a great friend of mine last night, uh, Tim Stoner. He's a partner at PwC. And I said, you know, there's a, a short list of people but I'm happy to have even that short list. When I meet with them, they give me more energy. There are certain situations in life that, that will require energy and you will feel maybe even sleepy afterwards or tired or exhausted. There's other situations, other people that if you are that fortunate that you know them and can interact with them, whether it's business or friendship or both, coaching, you have more energy leaving that conversation. and so. I think that's part of what I feel. And 
I don't, the other thing for those that know me, I don't glad hand on stuff like this. I try to give, as I get older, especially more sincere appreciation, but I'm not the happy guy, the, the just, you know, flowing with praise all the time. So, but I am trying to be a little better about sort of sharing this type of stuff. So I want to lead with that because I appreciate it. And I think it falls in line also with the topic that's a continuation of the 100th episode, which is kind of this coaching mentorship, career management theme. And you and I were chatting over email about this and your comment to me about the CISO position, which I think is getting more stressful. Your statement was so much is expected of CISOs. Maybe they need to get and give themselves some grace. Just saying. Unpack that for us a little bit. Where, why do they need to give themselves or receive some more grace in this sort of pressure cooker role that's becoming maybe even more so? Well, I, pre- I appreciate you, you know, kind of double clicking on that because I feel it. I feel it every day, right? I can't speak for everyone else, but I do talk to a lot of, a lot of CISOs. And what I was thinking and, and really expressing in that email was, was truly how I was feeling. There's this incredible responsibility to protect and defend your organization. And specifically for my organization, you know, being in healthcare, I think about our members, right? I think about their protected health information. I think about those individuals and being a good custodian of that data, making sure that the threat actors that are literally out there plotting and crafting and trying to figure out sophisticated ways to to compromise the data, to steal it, to do something else, how I have to thwart their efforts. There's a lot of responsibility there. And it definitely is a, a team effort. It really takes the entire organization to be leaning into this, right? And we say this, and, and it's, it's almost become a, a catchphrase or something that you'd see in a t-shirt where we say security is everyone's responsibility, but it truly is. And, and here's, here's the piece though, right? The, the, the piece that we forget is that it truly is everyone's responsibility, even though you're sitting in the chair you're 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 making these choices you're thinking about your people process technology your your services your strategic partners you're leveraging threat intel you're working your network you're doing all of these things we put so much pressure on ourselves to constantly get it right because we have to and then what we've seen play out you know over the last kind of several months or you know the last year specifically is that oh you know great effort but mm, still not enough so it feels sometimes almost impossible. And when I said we have to give ourselves grace, this also rubs up, you know, and nudges up against burnout. It nudges up against, you know, being healthy from a mental perspective, right? Understanding where your limits are and giving yourself grace to be like, hey, I'm not going to be able to get everything right every time, but we are leaning into this as much as we can. So we plan, 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 and we execute. Then we plan again. So there's there's some overlap to some militaristic, you know, kind of ideology here around making sure that you're really leaning into that planning effort. But, you know, as soon as the first punch is thrown, you know, all bets are off, but it doesn't dilute the fact and the the effectiveness of that planning on the on the front end. How does you and I have talked about this before, I believe, but do you think CISOs should do better expectation setting when they interview? on the way in, or if, if yes or no, is there anything, I mean, when you're meeting with people that'll be your peers and, and, you know, your, maybe your boss and above and CEO, whatnot, what advice would you have to someone going in thinking about the grace that you're referencing right now, thinking about not getting it right all the time, thinking about you're almost guaranteed, in fact, to fail. Um, I know many CISOs that maybe set the wrong expectation going in. And that cost them later on. Their words were used against them. The expectation was used a little bit against them as time went on. Do you have a perspective on that? I'm sure you do. But would you would you share your perspective on that? I will absolutely share my perspective on that. And this goes back to relationships. Any relationship that you're in, there there has to be some some really true expectation setting. The idea that that cybersecurity or cyber risk is this thing like, oh, well, now you're interviewing for a CISO, we've given you the job, <laughs> that is now your problem, is, is a complete fallacy. So one of the things you don't want to do, obviously, you want, you, want to, 
you know, be your the best, you know, kind of image of yourself. You want to be professional. You want to be congenial, all of those things. But you also don't want to give false expectations. You want to paint a very vivid picture. The digital economy, the digital landscape that we're operating in is vicious at, at the moment. Threat actors, organized crime, you know, nation state threat actors are are also in the space for, for a bunch of different reasons. And we are going to do our, our best efforts with our teams. But you have to say that up front. As soon as you come in and like, I got this and yeah, no problem. Everything will be fine. You'll be able to sleep at night, you know, CEO and the executive leadership. That's not necessarily true because you don't know who's plotting in the shadows to take you out. Right. And they all, and, and this is where it comes down to, right? They only have to get it right once. You have to constantly defend attack after attack after attack. You have to make sure that your security awareness is where it needs to be because you, you don't want employees clicking on, on emails. There's all of these kind of things going on, but it really comes down to setting that expectation and building a relationship based on honesty, trust, and being forthright. That, I think that's absolutely critical. You know, we we didn't talk about this piece before, but it's it's timely. I won't say who it is, but there's a health system that had an attack over Thanksgiving. And someone asked me my opinion, wanted me to make a comment. And I was like, I, I really don't want to. To me, it's sort of the worst case scenario. This is what I wrote. I said, this an incident that interferes with the quality of care and quality of life. I said, my sympathies go out to those who needed care and found it delayed. They had to reroute people. You know, these are well-funded criminal adversaries that need ongoing offensive pressure to counteract their growing momentum. And my statement, which I think you might appreciate, Godspeed to those in, offensive, in the offensive space who work daily on criminal takedowns, you know, protectors with offensive talents, ranging from intel to police work, uh, and those with arrest powers, you know, working across borders. I further said, you know, I know the pain and the rush of what's happening to the defenders and the responders. My heart is with the responders. I hope for rapid recovery uh, and rapid response. When these things happen, you are expected, I'm sure, internally to make comment on them. Specific to the event, uh, what's your, obviously you wouldn't probably work on the offensive side, but what's your opinion on those that do? We're starting to see more interaction between foreign governments and the FBI and others to sort of take these groups down. It's a little bit of whack-a-mole, but I believe it's necessary to go into conjunction with great defense of the private industry. Do you have, do you have opinions on that? If you were asked to answer that question, how would you phrase it? What words would you use to describe this type of scenario, the offensive piece to maybe your executive leadership? Uh, I, I think it's a great question. The, the way that I think about you know offensive capabilities and, and those that have those legitimate powers to be able to execute those mission sets, it, it absolutely takes a village. So when you think about, about cyber deterrence at scale, you know, specifically in the U.S. and then, and then going broadly from there, you, you have to think about the defensive capability and you also have to think about the offensive capability. So it's not just waiting for something to happen and to have really good you know, defenses in place. There has to be another subset of operators that are doing that offensive capability, right? That are really working into those networks, understanding the connectivity tissue. Because what I always say is that there's there's not some, you know, kind of faceless bot out there. There are, you know, a set of hands on keyboard somewhere and we need to find those hands. And who's finding those hands is those offensive operators that are looking under every crevice, every rock, to, you know, kind of connecting the dots and then building the, those appropriate cases where, you know, where extradition is something or where where we can leverage all, you know, tools of national power. We definitely should be leveraging and working with our allies. We definitely should be. But this game, you know, and I use that term loosely, this takes a lot of players to make this happen. And the offensive side is absolutely critical when it comes to driving that that cyber deterrence where it needs to be. I will tell you personally. I wasn't that big of a fan on, on two fronts about offensive capabilities. Uh, one, I've worked with people who thought that individual corporations, you know, the sort of hack back idea. And I typically found it as a misuse of resources or a misuse of time. However, I think that it is important and in fact incumbent. And I know there's groups you're a part of 
that then you interact with and help help lead i won't name but where information sharing is supremely important and there's involvement with law enforcement as an amplifier which i am a great advocate of the other side of it which is this offensive sort of federal uh slash military capability more law enforcement i'll say uh, but takes as you mentioned a village i never believed in it because i never saw it work until recently uh measured you know taking down whether it's botnets or criminal groups now they're all going to come back but you need that pressure against these groups they're not going to save you but they may help prevent the problem for the next person and your role our role is sharing you know observable intelligence and enriching it and having relationships with you know groups like secret service and fbi uh if you do have a problem or if you think you may have one so that's that's sort of how my position, though, has changed on this because I'm seeing it actually work. It's still not fast enough to help everyone, but I'm seeing it actually happen. And I think that's a very positive thing. Uh, I didn't intend for the conversation to go down the sort of the offensive piece, but it was timely uh, in the news. And so, and again, my thoughts are with those that were um, uh, affected, that weren't able to receive the care they needed. They had to reroute you know, ER and, and, uh, and, you know, cert elective surgeries both. But I think, I think offense is interesting. I know you're a historian, uh, of sorts on military history as well. And so I think the, the offensive capability in the cyber landscape is very interesting, but a lot of it is boots on the ground police work as well, right? Doing these raids. Any other thoughts on that topic before we shift over? No, oh, well, well, a few, but, uh, <laughs> we don't have enough time. Um, so a couple of other things I, I, I wanted to say around this piece, right? And this expands beyond the, the offensive capabilities. You know, Dr. Chris Inglis wrote uh, a really interesting paper with another person that I'm, I'm forgetting their name, but it, this paper was specifically around the new social contract. And as we operate in this digital space, in this digital society, in this digital economy, it requires us to refactor and redefine what does it mean to be to be a citizen in, in this social construct. And part of that, while we're leveraging all of these great, you know, capabilities and benefits, you know, through through digital, through cyberspace and 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 other places, other virtual places, there, and like I said before at the beginning of this, that's also an environment where there are threat actors that are trying to exploit those same capabilities dare I say, using the same tools that we use to defend, they use to attack. So I think there, there has to be an understanding that there are going to be defenders, there are going to be people that are going to be working the, the offensive problem set, and together we're going to try to maintain a quality of life that we aspire to, um, regardless of whether it's under attack or not. The more, the more that we see attacks, the more we should be digging in and trying to figure out how to build these partnerships. And we're doing, there's a tremendous amount of work in the public-private partnership space right now to, to redefine, to move away from long-lasting, you know, distrust or misunderstandings to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to set all of that aside. This problem set is pretty significant and it's impacting me and you. How do we work together to solve it? And that's where a lot of the information sharing comes in. But like I said, there's so many tools that we have available to us. When we start to bring those together in a cohesive way, then you really start to find some, some interesting solutions. And by extension, that starts to drive a, a different level of amplitude when it comes to cyber deterrence. For those listening uh, that would like to read this, I want to make sure it's Chris Engel, I-N-G-L-I-S, the cyber social contract and there's a couple of videos out there for those that are interested there's a keynote that he did also at the nyu school of law and i didn't know any of this i just googled this as you were giving your answer so i'm not like i didn't have it i didn't i was ignorant to this but a question i have for you i mean you're obviously pulling in a lot of information every time i speak with you you're citing something right as an aside maybe from a, a coaching perspective how or where are you pulling in your your sources of, you know, what I'll call near real time research or things that you read, maybe not newsworthy, maybe not, you know, each morning, but like what threads do you pull on when you go do your research for the month, let's say? Oh, that's a great question. And, and there are so many sources. I honestly, I love YouTube. I'm a visual learner. So I, I love to watch videos, to hear people speak, 
to un- to not only hear their words, but to see their nonverbal communication. That really is pretty tremendous for me. But then there's there's so many online resources. There's conversations that I have. I recently, actually last night, finished my, my I was doing two MIT classes simultaneously. Ooh, that was a, that was a doozy. One was on digital digital strategy, digital business strategy, and the other one was on artificial intelligence for business. You know, and and like everyone else, right? Oh, generative AI, what's going on? Understanding that, well, hang on a sec, you know, artificial intelligence has been around for a bit. Yes, we have this new iteration, but you know what? I don't know enough. I'm going to go and try to figure it out. So read a bunch of articles and then decided to go back to school. <laughs> so you have to pace yourself, I think, and figure out where where those sources are. And then be self-aware when you have a gap, there's enough information out there, you know, set aside egos and icons, just go and get the information. Sure. Which of those two did you prefer? The MIT class, uh, was there one that you favored over the other? They had different, different aspects. They had different elements. There, one was a, a little bit more, you know, technical. So the artificial intelligence was, was a little bit more technical. Understanding machine learning, the different, you know, types of machine learning in depth. Uh, understanding how you could leverage those models to be able to, per, you know, perpetuate and drive competitive advantage for your business. But the digital business strategy one was really interesting because it it was very much aligned with, you know, the cyber social contract and how we're living in this new age. And if you're operating a business, you need to be thinking about platforms. You need to be thinking about machines. You need to be thinking about the crowd. And those were, you know, kind of the three tenants that they built upon over this six-week course and talked about how, how you can leverage these things. These things weren't available before, but through this digital connective tissue, you have access to this. So why aren't you re-interrogating your business strategies? Why aren't you trying to, to leverage this to drive more value, to do whatever you need to do, whether it's a service or a product? There's different ways to do it now. So, you know, honor the past, but embrace what's available to you now and in the future. Were those the first two? Have you taken MIT classes before? I did, actually. I took, yeah, I did. I took, uh, I took one earlier this year, Organizational Design for Digital Transformation. And, and that was a mind-blowing one as well, because that was the, the blueprint to how do you take a company and transform it into this digital age? What are the five things, you know, kind of broad strokes that you need to be thinking about? But yeah, the, the coursework there is, is, is exceptional. And it, it's it's geared for, you know, the, the working, you know, individual. So good, good pace, good content. But these are these are nuggets that I'm now, you know, working on. We actually have a an offsite coming up with my cybersecurity team. And I will be bringing in these these business acumen things into how we're going to think about our strategy, because it's not just about cyber risk and managing that and mitigating that. It's also about how are we enabling and accelerating what we're trying to do on the business side? How are we thinking about enabling generative AI so that we can drive more value to our, you know, 2.75 million members at Primera? It's interesting you say that. I think that even if you only focus on information security, I think generative AI is going to change drastically how we work, how we, as an example, create evidence of compliance. Uh, how we go and pass an audit, leveraging that to say, hey, here's, I need this sample set, I need this information, write me a summary that that gives me an overview of the last 10 events of least occurrence involving this type of malware set that proves that my team not only finds bad things, but responds to bad things and doesn't return them not only to a known good state, but a known better state. Write me up this sort of the proof, citing tickets, citing you know, change control, citing investments, whatever, right? Write me a narrative. Tell me a story. Like, I I think that the time it takes to do that today versus the time it's going to take us to do that tomorrow is going to change everything. And that's just one vertical. You think of how much time we spend on compliance, right? You've got HIPAA and high trust and who who knows what else, right? The the effort around that. Now, it's still going to need governance, a lot of governance, but I think it's going to change the way we create and manage all types of content, all types of storytelling. And, and that's just one sliver. And I'm excited for it. I, I don't know if you've got a, a thought down that path as well, or you certainly were talking about a larger scale on the business front. But you think about the tasks that people have, uh, the way they spend the hours of their week, 
completely changes. Well, it totally, it totally does. And, here, and here's what I always say, right? You know, technology doesn't exist for the sake of technology. It exists to enrich and augment the human experience. So what we're looking at is a, is a new set of tools that will unlock new capabilities and allow us to, to go to other things, to do higher order magnitude type tasks, to be able to aggregate data in, in different ways. And I, I sometimes, you know, have a little bit of a, a, a snicker when I hear, oh, well, you know, H, a, AI is going to, you know, take over the world and we're going to be out of, out of jobs. And I, I don't think that's the case. I think, I think if you look at, you know, the way things were, in, you know, in the early 1900s when we had factories and steam, you, you know, those machines came in and we went off and did other things. Well, the machines can do that, so we don't need to do that. Well, what can we do? Oh, we should go and do this now. The, the same thing will happen, right? We need to make sure that we don't forget how powerful human ingenuity is. If something is, is going to fill a, a gap for us, nature doesn't tolerate a vacuum, we're going to fill it with something else. We're going to go and find something else to do that makes sense, that is valuable, that the machines cannot do. There are plenty of things that even generative AI cannot do today. There is no way to replicate being a human being all up. So, you know, we, we, we need to make sure that we're parsing these ideas correctly. It's interesting. I, one of the statements I'll make uh, that I often make on this is that these technologies, to your point, it's, it's not going to get rid of anyone, especially in the security space, but in the SOC, it's going to, it should over time, give us more time to execute on our mission, which is. I jokingly used to say, and anyone familiar with me will know that it was find bad stuff, fix bad stuff, provide excellent customer service. And number four was get credit for it. That's what we're going to do every day, right? And that was sort of the mission of this analytics group I, I built with many others, but I was in charge of. And that was it. And so if I could cut something out, whether it's via automation or machine learning or AI or large language model, whatever it is, right? That was, that was a win. And I'm, I'm excited to see where it all goes. But to your point, Anyone who wants to talk about that needs to also, I think, have recommendations on, so what do we do next? So what, now what? Right? What do I, what's the up level to my, to my staff, to my person, to my human, to my individual? What's the more higher, what's the more difficult thing that that human can then go do? That's exactly it. It, it, it is way too easy to vilify the technology. We can't be lazy, right? We have to constantly mentally challenge ourselves, push ourselves. If we're if we're building, you know, very sophisticated models and we're, you know, we're teaching them and 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 they're learning, okay, great. What what else can we do? What's the next thing? What's that moonshot that we need to go and figure out? That's where we need to put our energy and 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 redirect, reframe what comes next. So I want to shift gears a little bit here. One of the other questions that you actually raised to me in a in a in a larger chat we had is what are the off-ramps after being a CISO? And I think I've talked about this on the show before, but you had some interesting perspectives that I, that I think may have been, I don't know that I've heard them before. And then I also want to talk about this sort of the need for, and this is half joking, but that security uh, leaders need sports agents. I don't want to go there right away, but let's talk about off-ramps first of, what does a creative off-ramp look like for a CISO? It's a great question and a great topic. And I think a lot, <laughs> I think a lot of CISOs that have been sitting in the chair for a number of years are, are thinking about, about what comes next. Right now, and this goes back and, you'll, you'll, and you're starting to hear a theme, right, about the, this digital economy, the cyber risk and how you need to understand that, how this is becoming a lot more prevalent in conversations, you know, during board of directors meetings. And how directors have to have an additional acumen to be able to truly drive and deliver value back to those executive leadership teams of, of, the, of the companies, the, the boards that they're sitting on. So what a great opportunity for, for CISOs to come into those spaces with their subject matter expertise and, and start to help those executive leadership teams navigate the choppy waters of what it really means to operate a, a company in this day and age. Now, here's the rub. Being a subject matter expert in, in cyber and cyber risk and cybersecurity is great, but there are a number of other things that a board of directors needs to deal with. So you have to understand some of those financial issues, some of the, the human resources issues, brand, strategy, 
there's just, you know, kind of a, a cornucopia of, of MBA type things that you also need to understand. But you're really going to shine when, when it comes to that, that risk, right? That risk management piece. But you should be able to lean in and share other perspectives for, for other problem sets that do come up. So, so I think there's a lot of energy around, around that piece. But some CISOs, you know, potentially want to go in and teach or, or consult. Um, that experience, the things that they've been doing, the way that they've been helping company, their companies that they've been working for and others, you know, kind of survive and thrive in this, in this environment, that's a valuable thing. And I think sometimes we don't talk about it enough, but, you know, there are CISOs walking around with just a wealth of knowledge. And I'd love to see them be able to exercise that when they're ready to kind of shift, step away a little bit from the, the operational day-to-day. Because as we said at you know, the beginning of the call, completely stressful. <laughs> very, very tough to do for an extended period of time. Now, some of us, you know, we, we, we love the chase, right? We love the hunt. We love the, there's just, a, there's just, there's kind of a juice behind it that we, we enjoy. But over time, that can take a toll. And you need to understand that there's other things that can come when you're ready to, you know, step aside, do something different. There's a whole other generation coming up, right? That needs to understand and can be really benefit from that experience and that knowledge. We should be trying to create those channels, mentoring, sponsorship. And I really want to emphasize sponsorship. Talk a lot about mentoring, but sponsorship, right? I'm going to take your hand and I'm going to walk you on target. We together are going to figure it out for, for what comes next for that individual. So sponsorship is a huge thing. So there's a number of things that, you know, that CISOs could be doing, you know, while they're, they're trying to figure out what are those off ramps where they can still make a significant contribution, because I got to tell you, we need them, you know, globally, the society needs, you know, people that have been in the trenches that understand what good looks like, and can truly help individuals, right? I mean, think about the privacy issues. And what does it mean to have my, you know, my digital identity in the cloud? How do I do that? There's there's so many opportunities there. So we just have to be remain creative and and if we can create those off ramps and then then tell everyone, right? Tell all your friends, hey, here's the thing that you can do when you when you're done being operational. I often joke that if you look at the folks that work at on high tension wires, they often fly a little bird in and then they connect to it. And they wear a meter that's a contact meter that's how many minutes of contact they have with these high-tension wires. And then they have to rotate out. So I think it's, it's a very low number for the month. And then they're done. They have to do some other kind of work. And I often wonder, you know, is there, what is a healthy mix? And it's different for everyone. But, but back to that, you know, would it be best for uh, someone to rotate out? The question to me is, does the company recognize this or does the individual have to recognize and manage it? So some organizations you go to, you're an executive first. There's cultures in this world where the CISO is a temporary, it's a rotational executive position, right? You're going to go be a CISO and then you're going to go run operations or something else. Now, a lot of us might not like that, but do because of the risk, because of the lens that's now on the CISO, Will organizations, the question to you, Adrian, is do you think there'll ever be a time will they, where people will rotate the CISO on purpose, take that knowledge and put it in another area of the company where it's less permanent? Thoughts on that? It's an, it's an interesting idea and an interesting concept. I think, I think where I'd like to see industry all up go is less about rotating out you know, the CISO and, and redefining the relationship and the support model for the CISO. So, you know, you talk about being on the, you know, high tension wires and there's a meter and says, oh, you know, I've been exposed for too long. I would love to redefine the environment where there, there's, there's, you know, more loiter time because everybody acknowledges that, hey, this is tough. You know, what support do you need? And you can stay in the seat longer because there's, there's just a different way of doing business still effective you're still you know hitting those shared outcomes but you've redefined it and this this goes back to you know again where where we started right the idea of what does it mean to be a CISO and how are things changing in this environment we need to redefine that relationship between CISOs and companies make sure that the support is there 
so that we we don't have to rotate them out because you should go back to root cause, right? And say, well, why do we need to rotate them out in the first place? What is it that's happening that we feel that we need to, you know, pull them off the line because they've been there too long? And what's within our influence and our power to change? And do we have the willingness and the courage to change it? Because there are a lot of cultural, you know, norms and, and mores in these companies that are, are hard to move, right? People are unwilling because it's uncomfortable. Uh, well, it's always been this way. And, you know, I, I don't know how to be a disruptor. Maybe that's something that's not embraced. There's a much bigger question here about, you know, a foot besides just, you know, kind of rotating out of CISO over, over a period of time, I think. I think, though, when, well, one of the, the to- other topics related, but, but different in general, you get to the point where maybe you bring your organization to a certain level of maturity and then maybe maybe you have a replacement, maybe there's an heir apparent, maybe you've done that that sponsorship or that that mentorship, maybe, and it's time to go. This is another, I think, under-discussed topic. When is it time to go? And this leads us a little more into the we're joking a little bit, but the agent conversation is is on the horizon. But you talk to me about, you know, being aware and looking for these signals and, and looking out at the horizon. I think it's important for us to, you know, as part of normal career management, but I can tell you, if you look at my resume, I have a tendency to stay maybe longer than I should. And all the positions I've been in, well, many of my, my friends and colleagues are there a year or two and they leave. I'm more like six, seven, eight years in my career, which, which is maybe too long, but you have connection and, and you have ownership. And so there's a balance there. So I'll, I'll turn it back to you. How do you weigh that? And, and speaking in general terms, right? How do you keep your eyes open? How do you manage that? Spoken from a position of a coach, a mentor, maybe a sponsor, when is it time to go? How do you manage that internally? Well, I think one of the things that's, that's really important is to make the distinction of what we were just talking about to this specific topic, right? Making a choice to move on from a career aspiration standpoint, to take a next set of challenges based on self-awareness, based on just wanting to cha- you know, do something different is, is totally fine. What we were talking about before was an, an environment that requires us to move on, Right. So there's a distinction there that important. That, yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Important distinction. Yeah. Let me, let me clarify a little more. So before, yeah, we're talking about there's, you know, something is too hot. How long can you hold on to it? Kind of thing. This is in general, if, even if things are great, like in my past role, I'll tell you, I would say for the role I'm in now and the, and the, the, the role I had before in my past life, I had the best job in the building. And I can say that without any hesitation. So it's not about not liking the mission or the people or the job, but there's this question of when is it time for me to move on, even when things are great? Like, what is this? What does it mean for my own growth? What does it mean for, you know, maybe I'm in a spot where I want a different kind of challenge, or maybe I want to hit the reset button and I want to go help someone who's a complete mess, right? And maybe there's something there. That's where I'm, where I'm kind of going the other is, is there's, I will say, and maybe we shouldn't talk about this, but then maybe we should. There is a hierarchy, I think, in the CISO position, just like there's a ranking in of company size or profitability or within vertical or there's a prestige element. I know it's silly, but there's a prestige element. I know Fortune 15 CISOs that are trying very hard to go be Fortune 5 CISOs. There's nothing wrong with that, but you'd think 15 would be enough. Uh-uh. So that's, that's, another, that's another flavor of this, right? When do I look? How big do I need to be? But just in general, what are the signs that I should make a change? You know, that's, there's a thousand and one answers, but I, 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 I want to know how you tick in that regard. There, there is something that you said that is extremely important, and I want to make sure all the listeners heard it. You, you use the word enough. and it you know it has so many connotations to it, but specifically when we're talking about you know being a career CISO and and what does it mean to to move on to the next thing, and how do you define enough? What are you chasing specifically? Are you truly looking for the next you know challenges and problem set and the ability 
to create value, to make a significant contribution? Or is it a chase of, of prestige? Because, you know, your career path has been defined by by a bunch of other people like, well, I'm I'm at 15 and I should be at five. So I guess that's I guess I need to get to five. Well, OK. And if that's what you want, sure. But be honest with yourself. If if you're good at 15 or you want to go in, you know, to a, another company and not, not move up in, in stature and grandeur and, oh, this is a global company now and I have a, a bigger budget and a large team. Um, if you feel that you're making a contribution where you are or you want to make a, a, a lateral move, you know, uh, you know, oh, it's a terrible word, lateral, because that we're not upwardly mobile and that's who we are. There, there's something to be said about being self-aware and defining what is enough for you as an individual. And and whatever that is, as long as you're making it from that place, you're good to go. But if you're making it because something else has defined, you know, the the archetype of being a CISO and that's what you're following, then you probably need to shake your head a little bit and be like, mm, I'm, I'm not really sure if, if, if that's right or not. So I I just tell people like, hey, like, honestly, be honest with yourself, look within and figure out what you want to do. If you're happy here and you feel like you're fulfilled and you're making a contribution, then you should continue doing that. The other piece, and and this is, this is um, and I can't remember her name. I, I follow her on YouTube and this is, you know, not my saying, but she was talking about leaving, you know, financial services and her determining factor was if I'm earning and learning, I stay. If I'm either earning or learning, I stay. But when I'm not earning and I'm not learning, I'm out of here. And it was it was a very simplistic, you know, very you know, very honest kind of way of thinking about it. Right? I'm I'm earning some good cash. It's feeding into my future, into my retirement. It's giving me some optionality. It's giving me security. Or I'm learning a ton. All of these interesting things because I'm so curious and I'm getting these answers. Oh, I'm totally staying here. And, you know, and, and then the big win is, right, I'm earning and I'm learning. Oh, for sure, I'm staying. But when those two things for her dissipated, she said, well, no, I need to go and find the next opportunity. And that's exactly what she did. And I, I remember it because it's like, oh, man, that is such a, a simplest, great way of thinking about it. But it truly makes a lot of sense. And it, and it made sense to me. So, you know, I met Primera because it makes sense to me, right? I'm getting fulfilled. I'm making a contribution. There's a, a significant mission set, great people impacting millions of lives. All of those things, check, 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 makes sense to me. Yeah, I'm all in all the time. But, you know, if, if for whatever reason that equation changes, I need to be honest with myself and be like, mm, OK, pro probably time to go and do something else. I love that sort of rubric of uh, that the whomever. Sorry, we can't cite whoever you are, but. That the rubric that was shared, uh, I think, is a great one. The the learning, the earning, uh, the you know, the stay or not stay. Um, you said something to me once that on kind of this topic that you have to be plugged in and be looking for signals, though, of new things. And you've talked about some of this already, but plugged in where and looking for what signal? Oh, it's yeah that that that's an interesting one. There are layers, if you will, of environment, right? And, and what do I mean by that? There's your, let's call it your microcosm of your company, your organization. So keeping your finger on the pulse, what is the business strategy? Where is the business going? Has the, has the vision or the mission changed? Having and being, you know, kind of embedded into those conversations. Then there's, you know, there's that kind of next layer, right? Maybe it's geographical or, or industry-wise. Well, what's the industry doing? What are we doing specifically in this subject matter expert space of cybersecurity? For me, cybersecurity in healthcare. What does that look like? What are we talking about? What are some of those signals that are overt and maybe some that are, are you know, slightly covert that you have to dig a little bit? Um, you know, I'm not telling anybody to, you know, go and play find a rock, but but you have to stay curious. So there there are a lot of signals, whether it be through conversations, things that you read you know, what's happening in the news, what's happening from a global perspective. There's a lot of signals and it requires interpretation and to a certain degree, sometimes filtering, but some interpretation that will give you guidance on on what comes next or how what kind of move you should make or not make for that matter to be able to justify like I'm going to hold. OK, cool. What's your justification for holding? Well, these five things. Oh, 
well, that makes sense. You should hold. So there, there's a lot. It, the underlying piece here is about remaining curious and, and gathering information. And I talked about this, you know, in the last podcast that we did, right? I, I have a ton of questions <laughs> and I'm constantly looking for these answers. I don't always get all of them, but just the idea of looking for them is super fulfilling for me. And I think there's a lot of signals out there that we just allow, you know, to fall to the wayside and we don't really kind of tune into them. That's what I, that's what I was really talking about there was be, be aware and, and be intentional about, about things around you, environments around you and relationships. So final topic, and I've hinted at this a couple of times, it's, you were kind of teasing when you referenced this, but I like the concept, the notion kind of in the theme of when is it time to go and managing the your career and looking for opportunities and all these things, you made the statement that tongue in cheek, but it was that you believe that we need collectively some type of sports agent for security leadership and managing brand and opportunities and maybe things to write about or, you know, focusing maybe even image as well, um, which is important. Uh, maybe even down to the, the new microphone that you got. So you sound even better, uh, when you're on calls, what <laughs> wrap that up, put that in a bow for us. I mean, do you, you jokingly said it, but there's gotta be a little bit of truth in that many other executives, uh, have sort of what I'll call agents or maybe PR, or maybe, maybe that's inside their company. Maybe it's outside, but what is it you think we need to work on most, right? We're a little less refined in some ways. So What's the sports agent going to do for us? I think from time to time, we all need we all need some help and some support. And honestly, what I was talking about was, you know, being a career CISO, what are those opportunities that you just miss, right? We, we, we just talk about signals. Sometimes there are signals that you just can't pick up because you're, you know, your, your apparatus isn't big enough to be able to pick up those signals or you're focused on something else. Wouldn't it be awesome to have an advocate, to have that sports agent, you know, help you manage that career? Hey, here's a great podcast that you should get on. And hey, let me, let me broker that for you. And, and I've heard you talk about this topic and you might, you might want to share that. Here are some channels and some people that, you know, I can help, you know, connect you with. Here's an article that you should read or Here's the next article that you should help, you know, create with, you know, a colleague or somebody. Just the ability to have a little bit more help and not have to be single threaded, feeling like everything is on you. Oh, I've got to do everything. I mean, again, right? Sports agents, you know, talent agents, you know, if you're an actor, like, hey, yeah, I have agents for these things. I have, you know, personal assistants to help me with this. Wouldn't it be cool if CISOs had something similar? To help them navigate here. Oh, here's something that you absolutely need to read. Or here's a course you should take in order to, you know, enrich and augment your, your understanding of this topic. That would be pretty cool. Our lives are, are, are super busy by design. And I think every now and then, how cool would it be to actually have some help and to have some, some guidance and to know that there's somebody out there that's being a champion for you. Now, nobody's going to do it for free, obviously. <laughs> but but, you know, fair compensation. But I think it would be pretty cool to to start seeing that pop up in other, you know, kind of professional career paths. Like, oh, yeah, I'm an agent for for CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, you know, others. Yeah, we manage their their brand online. We help find them opportunities, whether it be, you know, it, it's time that they think they should move on to go do something else or they should stick. And if they're going to stick where they are, here are some things to help them drive and create even more value. Like what a what a cool concept that would be. I would sign up for that tomorrow. What a fantastic concept. And now, now you know why I saved this question for last, because it's in some way a little bit of what we talked about through the entire conversation of the 51 minutes or whatever it's been so far, like little pieces of maybe not full on with this agent would do, but little things to do to, to think of something differently to maybe to go take a class or read an article or, you know, appreciate a new perspective. But I love the idea and I think it's, it's, it's original uh, and I think it's needed. So I wanted to end on it because I think it's a a good capstone uh, idea and it's, uh, and and you're the first person I've heard mention it. (laughs) 
Well, I, th- I think there's one thing to add, and, and this really is, you know, is the reality of the situation is that being a CISO today is tougher than it ever has been. And to be able to have an advocate to help us, you know, navigate those choppy waters, I think is, is, is pretty important, you know, not to name names or things that are, that are going on right now, but there's, there are some consequences for, for, for doing this job. And I got to tell you, additional support um, could go a long way. So yeah, I would, I would, I would welcome it. And sorry, last thing real quick. I did find um, the, the YouTuber that I follow. Her name is Nisha, N-I-S-C-H-A. When I was talking about learning and earning, uh, it was one of her videos that, uh, that I found totally inspirational. And um, yeah, just wanted to make sure that I gave her the credit that is due. Well, shout out to Nisha. Uh, thanks for sharing that and finding that. Well, usually we end the show on a final question. You've answered it already, but I wanted to take a moment uh, just to share my sincerest thanks for, for being a part of this virtual mentorship community, uh, for being you know, a, a multi-time guest here, and for sharing, you know, taking the time, your busy schedule. You are impossible to get on a calendar. You give us your time. You're very you know, gracious when we, when we do get on the calendar, but you're a busy guy. And I know that, I don't know, I know you're, you're enthusiastic about sharing all that you know, and the community appreciates it. And lastly, I'll say I'm, I'm, I, I said this to the other two folks that did the, the 100th episode. I am absolutely blessed to know you. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of all of this. Well, thank you, you know, deeply for, for, for doing this, for, for bringing the, the questions and the voices to the masses. It's so important. We forget sometimes, you know, who the people that toil behind the scenes to, to keep us safe, to keep us protected. And, and I love that you've created a platform where we can share our ideas and our thoughts with people that are, you know, that, you know, in service and people that are coming up and, and, you know, and maybe people that are, are transitioning to go do something else. So it's, it's tremendously important. And what, what I feel is a sense of connectivity, right? There's just a human element to all of this. I mean, I love technology, don't get me wrong. But like I said before, technology doesn't exist for the sake of technology. It's there to, to help enrich the human experience. So what you're doing here is, is driving a, a strong emphasis to us being human, being connected and sharing those ideas. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you back. I, I really appreciate the time today. Adrian, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Loved it. That is it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on xbeam.com forward slash podcast. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.